Welcome to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Thanks for listening. Our desire is to help you advance in your faith journey no matter where you are. For more information on our church, please check out cthope.com. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Hope Church Online. We started a series last week uh, called Culture Shock. We are in a time uh, in our world that culture is changing rapidly around us. And we as Christians or those of us that follow Christ, maybe you don't, you're tuning in today and you want to sort of see how we're approaching this. Uh, We have to figure out how we're supposed to live today. Is there a time that we need to compromise? Is there a Is there truth that we should stand on, or should we just sort of go with the uh, spirit of the age, if you will? Uh, We took a look at Daniel, the book of Daniel, last week, and a way that he dealt with it, and we're going to look a little bit more at it today. One of my favorite moments that I can remember in history of a person who refused to compromise uh, what he believed in is found in Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King, although he was just as emphatic on what he believed was truth, but who he was named after was Martin Luther, a uh, German theologian. Uh, And uh, Martin Luther at one point has been declaring uh, truth that, that people should be allowed to study God's word on their own without popes or priests telling them what was right and so on. And and this was highly controversial to the point that he was put on trial for it. And the trial was in a town called Worms. And there he had to face a representative uh, as well as Charles V, the king of the time, to stand or to recant what he believed in. And Martin Luther, you you can almost see this, it's cinematic in so many levels, and they've made many uh, movies about Martin Luther, and this is sort of that very climactic scene of his life. He stands there before the king, he stands there before the representative of Pope Leo X, and he says these words, he says, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. This was this bold statement before people who instantaneously could have him killed. His life was on the line, and he refused to recant the truth he had learned from Scripture and his own conscience. And you, he went on to live a multiple years. He's an amazing story and an amazing read about this man's life, and God spared him from being executed, although many were at Uh, that day and age for uh, saying similar things or standing for similar things. No compromise. No compromise is important for us. Uh, All of us have faced a temptation to compromise, whether it's on a diet or uh, to compromise with our thoughts or to compromise with our words in certain aspects where we go away from what we know or we believe is right and we begin to veer into territory that maybe is not so right maybe is not so correct, maybe is unhealthy. All of us are tempted to compromise. 
And in our culture that is changing rapidly, we as Christians, those of us that follow Jesus Christ, and we believe in the Bible, are being tempted to compromise. We're being tempted to compromise truth. We're being tempted to compromise the way that we are told to live by Jesus himself. Now, it's easy to look back at the glory days of early America when everyone was Christian. Or maybe even Constantine's Rome, where he had declared Christianity the law of Rome. And we look back at that and we're like, man, it must have been great to live back then. But we're not. I said this last week that we have to, as the church, realize that we are the minority now. And for hundreds of years, we were the majority. We dictated law. We dictated conscience within our country. And we do not sit in that position anymore. We are a minority. And so we have to adapt and learn how to change and not compromise truth. How do we live in a culture that is anti what we believe in? How do we stand for what we believe in? Maybe you feel stuck between what is culturally true or told that is true, and it's changing all the time, let me tell you, or what God says is true. Today we want to continue in Daniel. We want to see how three of his friends were confronted with this. When they were confronted with an opportunity to compromise what they knew to be true, even out of fear of death, and yet they they stood resolute in what they believed. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 3 and verses 1 through 30. You can read the whole passage on your own. I'm just going to pick out a few verses. Let me explain what happened. Uh, the king of Babylon who has uh, taken uh, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, has taken them captive and has taken them back to Babylon away from their families. We talked about that last week. Now, uh, Daniel has been given a high level of position within Nebuchadnezzar's government. As Guess what? So has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've actually been given some leadership over the capital city of Babylon and the kingdom of Babylonia. That's a pretty high honor for being somebody who wasn't even a native. They were foreigners. And this brought some resentment that you're going to see in a little bit. Well, Nebuchadnezzar kind of had a little bit of an ego problem, as many leaders do. <laughs> uh, he thought it was all about him and how great his kingdom was. Look at how awesome we are. Let's, you know. So he comes up with this idea that he's going to have a statue built. It's actually uh, influenced by a dream that Daniel interpreted uh, for him in the previous chapter, in, in Daniel chapter 2. He has a statue built that is 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. And there's a lot of debate as to what this looks like if this was like a human statue. That's really awkward proportions. It's very possible it could have been like an obelisk or, or you know, a, low, a high post with something sitting there. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that he had it erected in, Nebuchadne or in Babylon, uh, Babylon. And he declared that all the government officials, and you can read about this in Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to modernize it for us. He declared that the Supreme Court he declared that the governors, the mayors of the cities, the Federal Reserve, the military chiefs, the chief of staff, the FBI and the CIA, and his administration all come to this statue. And they were to all bow to this statue that was to declare how great 
Babylon is. How wonderful we are. Look at how powerful we are. And he has all of these government officials bowing in unity to it. Some people have thought that this was bowing to a god. This was more of a political statement by Nebuchadnezzar than it was anything of worship. Though there were undertones of that in there. And in, chapter, in verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar, it says this, this, is what he tells all of them. He says, then the herald, his spokesperson, loudly proclaims, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, this is one heck of a rock band, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, that's some good motivation right there. Yeah, I don't do well in fire. I tend to burn up in fire. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar's given an ultimatum. And everyone, when this happens, when the music is played, when the band strikes out and whatever it is the song of the day is, Everybody, all of the government officials bow, except for three. The ones that were given a position of power over the capital city. And it says uh, in verse 12, actually the preceding verse says that there are some astrologers that work for Nebuchadnezzar. They have, you know, they do all the fortune telling for him. They have a resentment towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they see that they did not bow. And as a result, they go and, you know, do the adult thing. They tattle on them. They go tell Nebuchadnezzar something. They say this, but there were some Jews whom you, by the way, king, uh, have set over the affairs of the province of the capital city Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just saying, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. They, they rat them out. They tattle. Probably because of some deep-seated animosity of the fact that these foreigners have been brought in and given a position of power over the capital city, and I'm just an astrologer here. Thanks a lot. And so they squeal on them. In, in fact, it says uh, that they denounced them. And the word there in the original language for denounced is that they tore them to pieces with their words. They didn't hold back. They let loose. Well, Nebuchadnezzar brings the three men forward, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends. Daniel's absent from this, and there's really no clear understanding why, but he may have been out of town, he wasn't at this event, something kept him from being there. But these three men still, still stayed grounded, just like they did in the first chapter last week. And Nebuchadnezzar brings them forward and he gives them a chance to change. He says in verse 15 to them, now, you, now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, and the whole band, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. I'm going to give you another chance here, guys. Am I not merciful? But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Catch this. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Okay, this is interesting. Nebuchadnezzar throws that out there. What God can save you from me? Now, if you take a look at chapter 1 and chapter 2, you know that Nebuchadnezzar understands that the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has been able 
to help Daniel interpret dreams. And oh yeah, in that first uh, chapter, he's learned that uh, their God uh, can fatten vegetarians because they went on that vegetarian diet and it says that their flesh became fat. But Nebuchadnezzar has a very limited view of their God because he apparently thinks that their God can't save them from death. And he's about to get a hard lesson in this. Goes on in verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Can you imagine that? Looking at the king and saying, yeah, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. And it wasn't really meant to be disrespectful. It's like, we're not going to get in an argument about this. It is what it is. This is truth. You're trying to make us do something that is not true. It's against our truth. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Hallelujah. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They say, our God, he can deliver us from being killed. He can deliver us from your hand. But if he will not, now, are they all of a sudden saying, I don't know, maybe what we don't believe is true? No, they know that their God sometimes delivers us. But they also know that sometimes God may not deliver us the way that we thought. This was a win-win for them. Either they're going to be freed by God and everyone's going to see it and it's going to be amazing, or they die. They die as martyrs. But they stood firm and they get the glory of heaven. It was a win-win for them. That even if they had to die, they knew God was at work. And God's purposes would take place. God's purposes, what was most important. Luke 12, verses 11 through 12 is a verse, and I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but I encourage you to read because you talk about the boldness of these men in front of authorities. And this was something that Jesus even promised his disciples, where he tells them, when you are in front of the authorities, I'm going to give you the words to say. You may be terrified that you may have to stand up for your faith to kings and princes and queens and all of that, but I am going to give you the words to say in that moment. And you see it right here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to compromise truth. They refuse. And God gives them the words to say, even to say, he'll save us, and if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it. Wow. Well, this ticks off Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar freaks out because of their confidence and their lack of compromise. My big idea this morning is this, that confidence controls compromise. Confidence controls compromise. If you want to be bold and not compromise things, then you better be confident in what you believe or what is your values. If you are not confident, you will compromise. If you have questions about what you're doing or what you believe to be true, you will compromise. But if you are confident in it, that this is truth, this is right, I will do this, you will not compromise. Nebuchadnezzar freaks out. He tells the uh, soldiers, hey, make the furnace seven times hotter. In other words, he's just being a little, exa he's exaggerating a bit here. He's just saying, make that thing as stinking hot as you can. It was most likely like a lime kiln uh, that gets extremely hot. 
and he has the men drug up there to be thrown into the fiery furnace. It's so hot that his soldiers are killed. Yet these three men are dropped in and do not die. Nebuchadnezzar thinking, ha, 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 ha. We'll see who has the last laugh. We'll see if your God actually saves you. Has the ability to look into the furnace from a distance and sees four men walking around in the furnace. Four men. We threw three in there. And when he looks at the fourth one, he says that it appears as one of the sons of God or an angel. It appears to be an angel that is in there. And the men are in there walking around. They're not suffering. Who knows? Maybe they're giving each other high fives in there. I don't know. But they were not burning up. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls and tells them to come out. And he sees that when they come out that their clothes are not burned. Their hair does not smell of smoke. It's like they were never even in a furnace. They're not even breaking a sweat. And Nebuchadnezzar looks at them and says this in verse 28. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. They defied me and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own God. Now it seems like, oh wow, Nebuchadnezzar just had this miraculous thing happen in front of him. He's a follower of, of Yahweh God, the, the God of uh, Daniel. Nope. You'll see a chapter later that he just goes right back to who he is. You know, some of us have those experiences in our life where we're like, God is so awesome, man. He delivered us. He saved us. He provided for us. And then a month later, we're right back to where we were before. And you see it with Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't really believe in this God. God will get his attention soon enough. But you know who did? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God did something amazing through them because they were confident in truth that they refused to compromise even though the culture around them said, you're a fool. Why don't you just bow? Even if you don't believe it, just bow, okay? Go with everybody, make them happy, and go on with your life believing what you want to believe. They refused to compromise truth because it would have been worshiping a nation and worshiping the gods of that nation if they did so. What brings us to compromise? What brings us to compromise? Most of the time, I think that we compromise when it comes to our faith and maybe other things, when we fear for our personal safety, our own personal health. Sometimes we compromise because we fear we will become irrelevant. Sometimes we just have a lack of confidence in what we say is true. Whatever it is, we compromise. Now, there is good compromise. In, in relationships, there's good compromise. Husbands and wives and parents and children have to sort of find compromise. But this is compromising truth and what is right that we know from God's word. When we open the door of compromise... It's tough to go back. It's kind of like this. Toothpaste. When we open the door to compromise, we're like, well, maybe this is okay. I know the Bible kind of says something about this. I shouldn't do this. We begin to compromise. And when we compromise, it's really hard for me to get this back in here. All of it. It's very impossible. When we begin to open the doors of compromise, we begin to really set us up, ourselves up for future failure. 
how do we prevent compromise? We prevent compromise through confidence in God's word, through our relationship with him. I know the dentist says not to do this, but I got to do this. Okay, forgive me. So um, our confidence is in God. As Christians, our confidence is in, in God, in his truth, in his heart, in his leading, in his protection, and in his will. And you saw those with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, Abednego, they believed in his will was going to be done, whether they lived or not. They believed his heart was good and kind and loving. The furnace, when we face the furnace, it proves a lot about what we really believe about God. When we face the furnace, in fact, this is our challenge today. The furnace proves your faith. The furnace proves your faith. Think about this. If you are tempted to compromise, if you face being ridiculed or punished or whatever for your faith, when you face that furnace, it's going to prove whether you believe this and have the confidence in it or not. Your furnace may not be death, though. So that's sort of the dramatic one we go to. You know, even in our country, uh, sometimes it's like if we see Christian principles being compromised within the government and maybe a stance that they have on something, we immediately say, oh my goodness, this is it. We're going to the jails. We're all going to die right now. And listen, I'm not doubting that that day may come. But sometimes we blow it so out of proportion and panic because we're not used to the change and we're in a different culture. Sometimes the furnace many of us face though is mockery for what we believe, being discriminated against at work, or maybe just being demonized. Have you ever heard the church demonized anywhere before for anything? Just turn on TV, you'll see it all the time. That's the most persecution we face. There are other Christians in this world who are facing death for their belief and, and almost have to be protective for, for their belief and even assembling. We have that freedom still, still. And so I ask you this, how are you handling those small furnaces in your life of mockery, of demonization, or of, of being cast out or discriminated against at work or your friends or whatever? How are you handling those small furnaces? Are you still confident in what you believe? Because how we handle the small furnaces are going to tell how we handle the big furnace, the one that's been turned up seven times hotter. We must be confident in what we believe. And that is how we must stand in this culture. That is how we change the world. An old evangelist named Vance Havner said it this way. We are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. We're not going to do it by criticism or conformity. We're going to do it by combustion of the Holy Spirit doing some crazy stuff in us and through us when we are confident in our faith and we refuse to compromise and we stand for what God taught us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, give us the confidence when we face the furnace this week, this year, our lifetime whether it's just being mocked, left out, maybe discriminated against. God, give us that confidence in your truth. And Lord, do not let us compromise. 
because we know that once we've done that, it is hard to get back to truth. Give us the confidence that you are going to do what you do and you can deliver us. And even if you don't deliver us, you are going to bring justice in this world. And we ask it in your name. Amen.